Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Melvin Wilson. Hey, Melvin, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Ben? I'm well. Uh, Melvin, it's great to talk with you. Melvin's had an amazing career in really the innovation, digital technology, and marketing space. And we're going to go through that, that amazing career in a second. But he's now the founder of Solve Innovation Group. And we'll be talking more about what they've been up to over the last couple of years. Before we get there, Melvin, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Sure. Um, originally, I thought I was going to be an architect or an engineer and uh, somehow got the advertising bug and have kind of been riding that train for the last 25 years or so. Uh, and weirdly enough, now that I'm involved in innovation and tech, I get to use that uh, tech background that uh, I originally kind of ran away from. Uh, however, my mother still thinks I probably should have just been an engineer because she kind of doesn't understand what I do, but it's cool. Um, would not have it any other way. Glad we still kind of get the play in a space between uh, cool people and cool things. So uh, glad we kind of get a chance to talk through that. Yeah, and I, I, it's interesting because the world has moved. I'd say the communications and marketing world has moved closer to that technology and engineering background. Who knows, Melvin? Your mom may get what she wants. You'll end up being an engineer <laughs> yeah, true. ultimately. Um, but tell me more about Solve Innovation Group. And uh, you guys have been building for the last couple of years. What types of stuff are you guys working on? Sure, no problem. Um, we, we kind of uh, built out our firm to build frameworks and create ways for companies to leverage tech to uh, build more value and build more utility in the ecosystems that they go into. So uh, literally, instead of trying to build things around what we want people to do, we're trying to build systems in which technology works more like people. And, and I will say that from the standpoint of, I've been around and building a lot of things that are not built on, I'll just say the way people work, they're built on what we want them to do. And where we normally find a sweet space is, how do you communicate with people or build your programs or even build your platforms in ways that are valuable to people, but it also is it gives them utility. It works in ways that make it easier for them to engage with brands, not harder. It doesn't make them do things that are necessarily unnatural to in interact with brands, but then also things that give value back to the communities in which they serve. So if you want to have people make financial transactions, are there ways for, to make those financial transactions valuable to them or their community? You know, so things that people are kind of talking about around things like B Corps right now, where you can give back to the community through the work that you do. We've kind of been working on those frameworks for the last six or seven years in ways where you can do data without doing bias, or you can do data in ways that gives back to the ecosystems that you're pulling it from. Uh, we really believe that's a way to work more with customers in a way that's more ethical and really more useful. Um, and we found that it's the same or similar across multiple 
uh, verticals. So we actually do a lot of work within the biotech, martech, and fintech um, verticals because a lot of those things around those topics are almost identical, weirdly enough. Like uh, so, that's where we've kind of been working the last four to five years uh, in the innovation space, helping people build. Um, that's, you know, that's really interesting stuff. I mean, uh, the B Corp stuff is fascinating, Melvin. And, and, and that's, that's been, I think, just a, a broad move as companies move into that kind of ESG world, right? As they're trying to kind of become more of a, a partner with, with communities. But also, I think the diversity element that you were highlighting and some of the work that you guys are doing in the BIPOC space. Uh, tell me more about that. Sure. We, we kind of flipped that on its head. A lot of uh, the talk around that space has been about it being an equity problem. We said it's really, it is a tech problem and an inclusion problem, not from the standpoint of uh, being inclusive from a staff perspective and things like that, but really uh, from a tracking perspective, from a research perspective, even from a technical perspective on the way the systems were built. A lot of the, the BIPOC publishers and content that's trying to be ingested hasn't been included for 15 to 20 years in any of this stuff. And this happened before you actually had tech get involved. So tech tends to amplify things that are already there. So if there was a gap there before tech got involved, it just got bigger when we involved tech. And now we probably need to reset that and treat most of those publishers and most of those audiences, more of the way we treat emerging audiences and new platforms. And I think we can kind of get to a solve, but trying to get to having companies and having brands treat those audiences as new has kind of been where we've done a lot of good work. So it's been, hey, if you're going to target people on TikTok and literally find a way to do the right creative, find a way to do the right measurement outside of what you already have, take that same approach with underrepresented groups because you're literally starting from scratch anyway. You don't have historical data. You haven't had historical inclusion. So if you treat them in the same way you treat new and emerging markets or new and emerging platforms, you'll actually be able to build out a solution that will work future forward. And you can also do it with the platforms that are new because the larger audiences on all the new platforms are actually the BIPOC audiences. So TikTok is primarily run by uh, women creators and BIPOC creators. Uh, same with all the other new platforms as well, including things like CTV, um, which originally started off as things like satellite TV, which were also BIPOC heavy. So I think we've been playing in that space to say, we know you guys don't look at this in the same way, but you should. Here's why. And then here's why it will work and still create value for you and your clients. And we've had a lot of success over the last couple of years uh, doing that with our clients. That's, that's really interesting. It reminds me of some of the challenges that we've seen in you know, the use of machine learning, uh, really, where, where you have kind of messy data sets that essentially have to almost be rebuilt and restructured before you can really do meaningful machine learning. And it sounds to me that what you're outlining here is we just don't have strong first party data you know, mm -hmm. for, for some of this inclusion. And so how do we how do we start to build it properly? Uh, you know, right. How do we build it in a new way that can actually uh, be effective and, you know, truly, truly inclusive? That's that's amazing. 
definitely agree. The, the weird, um, I'll just say interesting thing from a, a career path thing is my my first exit in anything was actually a data company, weirdly enough. So uh, we had a data company that we rolled up into a firm called Navion, and that was my first exit. It was specifically around data and multicultural data. Um, so it, it's actually not the first time I've had the conversation, but I think it's the first time that a lot of people have had the conversation specifically around tech. And I said, it, it is really a data problem because there's only two things in a database. If you're a person from a marketing standpoint that follow you from cradle to grave, it's your birth date and your ethnicity. It's the exact same thing. So if you really wanted to look at it from a data standpoint, what's the thing I can hold on to that will cross between whether I'm in a wall garden or a mail list, it's those two things. So it, it, it literally is something that starts at bare bones data architecture problem, not just an inclusion problem. And, and you're saying that that basically has just not been an, a, a, a consistently managed data set? Is that what you're... It, yeah. it has not been. It has been in a few different places. So you have some folks who've been in the old school list and data compiling business who've done that. You have people like Equifax who do it because they have to. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, marketing databases are built on the things that are the cheapest and easiest to find. So it's either data that's pulled from a wall garden environment, third-party data, which honestly at this point, I think they, everyone knows is kind of, you know, it, it's either super questionable or it may not be super recent. Um, and then I think now you have the permission component that's built into it where now, if you have clients or customers who haven't given you, you know, outright permission, third and fourth party data kind of goes away. And that's the space where, you know, the majority of our counterparts have kind of been playing, whether you're a DMP, a DSP, all these different folks. Technically, legally, uh, when the law catches up to this, the only people who are going to have the rights to have this stuff are really going to be publishers and brands. They're going to be the ultimate holders of the data torch when all the dust settles. So we have to help them get it right. That's that's great. And, and I, I would imagine that right now, uh, where we move, we're moving into kind of like the connected TV world at scale, uh, this type of thinking is going to be absolutely critical as we build that next version of kind of television. Agreed. And once again, if you just look at where the audiences are, the highest index audiences who are in, on TV right now that need to be moved somewhere else are BIPOC audiences. So it's not something that's just, once again, I think the equity play needs to be needs to be had, but there is a data and there is a product play here that is essential to getting this right. And I think that story needs to be told against something that we can use uh, going forward. So let's change gears a little bit here, Melvin, and talk about the last couple of years. Tell me how uh, you fared during COVID and how uh, you guys are coming out of it and, and, and some of the exciting things that you're seeing. Sure. So uh, 2020 actually started off awesome. We had our best month ever in the history of the company. We had our biggest CES ever. So we do a lot of executive tours there. Um, and a lot of work with uh, partner companies just kind of showing where to place your best bets, what's next in the future, um, you know, how to make your tech inclusive, all that other good stuff at CES. And then right after that, the rest of the year happened. So uh, we, we kind of killed our event business through COVID, which kind of helped us survive. 
But coming out of that, we found out we could do a lot of those events virtually. So we did South by virtually. Uh, we did CAN virtually, you know, all the uh, other events that normally you would physically do. Uh, and I think going forward, we're probably going to have a hybrid model against that uh, to, to do those events and work with our clients. I think um, the interesting thing that came out of 2020 for us is we figured out that in a lot of cases, clients were forced to take heed to a lot of the things we had recommended in prior years. So the first three, four months of the year were terrible, but the back half of the year was actually really good for us because clients had to put these things into place that we asked them to do. And they thought they had three to four years to execute. And 2020 sped all those things up, right? Like, so do you have data on CTV? Can you get people to um, transact via social media? Can you, like all these different things became essential instead of nice to haves in 2020. So that sped up some of our growth going into this year. Yeah, it definitely operated, I think, as an accelerant on on many topics. Uh, certainly some of the social challenges that we had uh, in, in the summer of 2020, uh, I think positively spurred companies to wake up to, to some of the changes that we're seeing here. And what I love of what you're talking about is from a media perspective, if you don't get those building blocks of that technology right, of how you're managing the data, how you're structuring that data, you know, we're just going to continue having the same old problems, right? So this is, this is kind of like a fundamental building block that then will ideally really cascade into a much more equitable solution going forward. So tell me, you know, as you look forward for, you know, this year and, and 2022, what are you excited about? What are the, the key trends? I am super excited about the, the idea of commerce finally being everywhere. Uh, we've finally figured out it's okay to buy it wherever the heck we want to. Um, I know, you know, for the longest time, be, uh, I'll just say pre-internet, it was we're going to force people to buy in a big box store. Then when the internet happened, they need to buy it from my store or my landing page. And I think what streaming has done is it is completely democratized. I can just do it wherever the heck I want to, right? So I can stream it on whatever platform I want. As long as I watch it, it's good, right? So I think the whole idea of buying from anywhere is a great thing for brands to kind of see because I think it opens up markets to them. People who would normally be open to their product or even be looking for their product um, they may actually look for it. I think the other thing that I'm super excited about is the ability to see more in different types of content on multiple platforms. Um, I think that it's going to be interesting to see whether there's room for more media companies to grow off of that or whether you're going to see those content providers end up aggregating at big streaming services. Um, I, I think it's a flip of a coin, and, and by that meaning, it depends on what laws come down on whether you have the big three streaming companies become where everybody parks their content uh, unless they have a reason not to. But I still think niche properties like things like BritBox, I think we're going to just see more of those where you have a million people who really like whatever it is, and they're willing to pay like eight bucks to see it. I think that's awesome because... Um, the only other thing that looked like that is really old and people thought it was dead. It's magazines. 
magazines used to be like that. Either you were a Bon Appetit or a Savoir guy, like, you know, like, um, but it was only 2,500 people who read it and no one cared. People still paid like 20 bucks uh, uh, issue for it. I think that it's going to be uh, interesting to see how those verticals build out. And I'm excited to see that because um, I think as you have a return to that type of verticalization of content, I think you get better content, right? Like, so I think that's going to be exciting to see that. Um, I also think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, um, in-housing um, craze because I think in-housing works for P&G because they have a lot of money and a lot of people. I don't know if in-housing works that great for like Oneida. <laughs> or, or, or or different folks like that. So I want to see how that's going to hatch out. Is that going to create a little cottage economy for more boutique shops or not? Yeah, I've, I've always felt <laughs> that um, it's easy for companies like Procter & Gamble to talk about taking everything in-house because they're, you know, multi-multi-billion, uh, hundred-billion-dollar, multi-billion, hundreds of billions of dollar revenue business. But certainly that model doesn't make sense for... Uh, any company that's, you know, in the hundreds of millions or even a billion, you know. And so, yeah, you're going to have a ton of hybrid models for sure. That's great. Well, listen, Melvin, I mean, listening to what you guys are working on, I'm very excited. Uh, I'm excited to see what you come up with this year because it does seem to me that what you, you guys are involved with at the Solve Innovation Group is kind of like the building block for the future of media. So I'm really keen to learn more about what you're working on. Thank you so much for joining us today on Uncaged. If someone wanted to reach you, tell us uh, where they should find you. Uh, best spots to reach me are probably LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, on LinkedIn, you can look me up either under Solve Innovation Group or just by my regular name. I don't think I have any funky middle initials. Uh, just So just Melvin Wilson. And on Twitter, it's at C3MLW. Excellent. Well, listen, we've been speaking with Melvin Wilson. He's the founder of the Solve Innovation Group, and uh, they've been playing a critical role in what I would say are kind of like the inclusion, diversity issues in terms of how companies are building out that media tech architecture and how they're bringing that to market and some of the audiences, some of the channels that those audiences can uh, best be found on and really uh, helping uh, clients and brands leverage those channels. So Melvin, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Ben. Cheers. All right.